like you to turn with me in your Bibles this morning, if you have them available, to Exodus chapter 15. Exodus chapter 15. I told Russ as we were sitting over there about to play the instruments at the beginning of the service, I have the strangest Resurrection Sunday message that I've ever had. And it comes from the book of Exodus. And I'll be interested for some of you to tell me after the message if it was the one for you. Because uh, it's... There have been things that have been ruminating within me for the last several weeks, and I couldn't get away from them. Every time I would try to think, well, but it's Resurrection Sunday, Lord, I'm supposed to preach about the resurrection. And I would, uh, you know, go back to those passages in the gospel. These kept coming back to me. So I want to share with you from the Old Testament this morning three of the great and marvelous symbols that uh, portray to us our Lord Jesus Christ. Three symbols that bring him before our eyes. You know, someone once said to me that every page in the Bible speaks about Jesus. Every page is about him in some way or another. And uh, I... I wondered if that was exactly true, but I remember one time when I was a freshman in college, there were a number of us having a discussion. We were preparing for ministry, and um, that statement was made in our group, and someone said, well, all right, let's find out. And uh, they challenged uh, one of the skeptics in the group, challenged someone else to open their Bible at random, point their finger to a verse, and see if that verse had anything to do with Jesus. And someone opened, I believe it was to Genesis, uh, back in chapter 38, and, and put their finger on a verse, and it said, uh, they named him Perez because what a breach you have made for yourself. This baby was a breach baby, and named him Perez. And uh, someone said, what's that got to do with Christ? And another enterprising person looked in the genealogies and the gospels and lo and behold if he's not in the line <laughs> of Christ in the genealogies well I don't know that every single page in the Bible has some specific message about Jesus Christ but I do know that the whole Bible focuses upon him he is the central character he is the figure he is the one that every writer speaks of, all of the Old Testament looks to. Jesus Christ is the focus of all of the attention of the Scriptures. And throughout the Scriptures, God gives to us certain images or pictures that speak to us of some aspect of the life and the character and the nature of Jesus Christ. The book of Exodus is full of them. Exodus is a book of freedom. It's a book that talks about the Israelites leaving the land of Egypt and going to the promised land. And I want to say at the outset this morning that all that is recorded in Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy is historical truth. It all happened. It was all an event, just like today's headline news documenting the 
the things that are happening. All of these things happened to the nation of Israel, but they didn't happen by happenstance, by accident. They weren't just uh, sort of uh, a a string of non-connected, unconnected uh, kinds of uh, events, but God was using the circumstances of that wilderness wandering and that exodus and ultimate entrance into the promised land to teach them about the true deliverance, not from Egyptian slavery, not from the bondage of Pharaoh, but from slavery to sin and release of the captives to come to freedom and ultimately to the promised land of eternal life in the Father's presence. And so all of those things that happened, God wove them together in a fabric that pointed to Jesus Christ and tells a story about him. The first one is found in Exodus chapter 15. And it begins in verse 22. The scripture says, Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur, And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore it was named Marah. So the people grumbled at Moses, saying, What shall we drink? Then he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. And he threw it into the waters, and the waters became sweet. There he made for them a statue and a regulation. And there he tested them. And he said, If you will give earnest heed to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight and give ear to his commandments and keep his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have put on the Egyptians. For I, the Lord, am your healer. You know, many people that have tried to analyze the meaning of the Scriptures that are somewhat skeptical of the miraculous, look at this, and they try to say, what kind of a tree was it that Moses could throw into a pool of water that would take bitter water and make it sweet? What properties did the tree have? I'm not sure that the significance of that miracle lay within the tree itself, but within the God who pointed out the tree. And the point that God was making to Moses was, I'm going to show you a tree. And when you throw that tree, cut it down and throw it in the waters, it will take these bitter waters and make them sweet. You'll be able to drink them. The scripture tells us the people had been three days thus far on this particular leg of the journey. The implication is is that they had not found water along the way and probably were running out of their supplies. And some of them may already have been for a day or so without water. Physiologists tell us that you can't go more than three days without water, the average person, until uh, terrible things begin to happen and death is soon to follow. Water is more necessary than any other ingredient of life. Most of us could go a month or more without eating. You may find that hard to believe. 
I know I could, <laughs> but, and some of us could go longer than that, but you can't go more than a few days without water. And so they came to this place that they were going to camp, and, and they found water there. Can you imagine the excitement? There's water. It's not a mirage. It didn't disappear before our eyes. There's water here to drink. But as they tasted the water, have you ever tasted water that's so bitter it sets your teeth on edge? You, you just can't drink it at all. I have. I used to go into the woods when I was a kid in the Withlacoochee River down in Florida, and uh, every once in a while you'd run across a well that someone had, had uh, pounded down, and it would have one of those old pumps on it, you know, and, and you could uh, get water out of that. It was fairly reliable, but some of it was so brackish and so bitter that it would just set your teeth on edge, and you didn't want to drink that stuff. And the people began to grumble. And they became bitter. And they said, we've come out of Egypt. We've come from Pharaoh's bondage. Now we're here in this place and we're thirsty and we can't even drink the water. And Moses cries out to the Lord and says, what shall I do? And the Lord points out a tree. God causes his eyes to fall upon a tree and he says, put that tree in the water and the water will become sweet. Why was that important to do that? Because God was teaching a lesson. In Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah chapter 11, the scripture says, Then a shoot will spring from the root of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of the knowledge of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. And it goes on to say, They will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, in verse 9 of Isaiah 11. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters covers the sea. And in that day, the nations will resort to the root of Jesse, who will stand as a signal for the peoples. And his place, resting place, will be glorious. Jesus Christ began to be uh, imagined in the Old Testament through the prophets as the root of Jesse and a branch that would come out of, out of David's line, a branch that would come and bring deliverance for the people. Jeremiah the prophet writes in 23, 5 and 6, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. This branch will be called the Lord, our righteousness. The prophet Zechariah, toward the end of the Old Testament, in chapter 3, says this, Now listen, Joshua the high priest, you and your friends who are sitting in front of you. Indeed, they are men who are a symbol. For behold, I'm going to bring in my servant the branch. For behold, the stone that I have set before Joshua. One stone on that stone are seven eyes. I will engrave an inscription on it, declares the Lord of hosts, and remove the iniquity of the land in one day. The branch of the root of Jesse, the branch of David, and we know from the scriptures we follow the Old Testament story and come to the time of Jesus Christ that the scriptures prophesied that one of the 
one of the uh, offspring of David would become the royal heir to the throne, and of his kingdom there would be no end. This is the branch from the root of Jesse, David's father. This is the branch of the tree that God has appointed as healing for the nations. The prophet Malachi said, and he will rise with healing in his wings. And in the book of Revelation, chapter 20, chapter 22, we are told that this one, in the midst of this eternal kingdom, stands that tree of life. And out of that tree, life flows to all who are there to partake of eternal life. This root, this branch, this tree that God has promised is not something growing in the sand in the desert, but it is a person who, when invited into the bitterness of life, will make the water sweet. It is a person who will bring healing. For God said to the Israelites on that day, if you will follow me and keep my commandments and follow me with all of your heart, I will put none of the diseases upon you that have fallen upon the Egyptians. For I, the Lord, am your healer. I am your doctor. Jesus Christ is the healing branch that comes from the line of David and makes sweet the bitter waters of life. Well, there's another passage, just over a page or two, if you have your Bibles and you're following me along in chapter 17 of Exodus, verse 1. The Israelites are thirsty again. Seems like they're always thirsty. But if you understand the problem of wandering around in the desert, you know the reality of that, because water is the most crucial commodity. If you don't have water, you don't survive. It's absolutely essential. And they've come to another spot in the road where they don't have enough water and they're thirsty. In Exodus chapter 17, verse 1, Then all the congregation, the sons of Israel, journeyed by stages from the wilderness of sin according to the command of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And they grumbled against Moses and said, Why now have you brought us up from Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, What shall I do to this people? <laughs> Notice Moses didn't say, What shall I do for this people? Catch that? What shall I do to this people? I'm sure that's exactly what he was thinking at the moment. What shall I do to this people? A little more and they will stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass before the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile. And go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you will strike the rock, and the water will come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he named the place Massa and Meribah, 
because of the quarrel of the sons of Israel and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Here is an amazing account where again the Israelites have come to this place with no water and again they're grumbling. It seems like they never get it. And they're grumbling and saying, Why has God brought us to this wilderness to die of thirst? And Moses goes before the Lord and he says, God, if something doesn't happen here, they're going to stone me. And God says, take your staff and strike that rock at Horeb. There must have been a, a, a huge granite face or some such thing there in Horeb. And the people, the elders gathered around to watch this display of God's power. And Moses took that rod, that staff that he had, that, that he had used as God told him to stretch his hand out over the Nile, and he did so, and that river parted, or over the Red Sea. And that, that sea parted. And he took that same staff, and he struck that rock with it. And the most amazing thing occurred, fastest well in history. All of a sudden, the rock opened enough and water began to gush out and there was a spring there and water flowed from the rock and the people could drink the water it was fresh and this time it needed no healing it needed no sweetening it was ready to drink right out of the rock it was fresh spring water in the desert and the people's thirst was quenched an amazing thing occurred later in their journey, a number of years later, in fact. It's recorded in Numbers. They're virtually back at the same place. Numbers chapter 20. In verse 1, it says, The sons of Israel, the whole congregation, came to the wilderness of Zin in the first month, and the people stayed at Kadesh. Now Miriam died there and was buried. There was no water for the congregation. And they assembled themselves against Moses and Aaron. Same place, same predicament, same complaint. And they contended, saying, If only we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why then have you brought the Lord's assembly to this wilderness for us and our beasts to die here? Why have you made us come up from Egypt to bring us to this wretched place? This is not a place of grain or figs or vines or pomegranates. There's not even any water to drink. Moses and Aaron came in the presence from the presence of the assembly to the doorway of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Take the rod. You and your brother Aaron assemble the congregation and speak to the rock before their eyes that it may yield its water. Do you catch the significance of the difference here? Sometime back when they came to this place and there was no water, God said, take your staff and strike that rock. And from it, when you smite the rock, water will flow. But now he says, take your staff, but go to the rock and speak to it. And say to the rock, bring forth the water. Thus you shall bring for them water out of the rock, and let the congregation and their beasts drink. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord, just as he had commanded him. And they gathered the assembly before the rock. And Moses said, Ever feel this way? 
Listen, you rebels. Parents ever get to the end of your rope like that? You, you, you have the discipline all figured out. You know exactly how you're going to discipline the kids maturely, somberly, appropriately. And then you just look at them again. And what they did has so aggravated you, you just forget everything you decided. You're just frustrated. And Moses was frustrated with these people. And he says, listen now, you rebels. Shall we bring forth water for you out of this rock? And he lifted up his hand and struck the rock twice. God didn't say to strike it. God said to speak to it. Why was that important? Why was that so significant? Isaiah says, trust in the Lord forever. For God is the Lord, and in him we have an everlasting rock. Isaiah again says, you will have songs in the night when you keep the festival, and gladness of heart as when one marches to the sound of the tune, to go to the mountain of the Lord, to the rock of Israel. But Paul clinches it in Corinthians when he says, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. In the wilderness, the people were physically thirsty and they needed water. And Moses struck a literal rock and water came out of it. The second time God said, speak to the rock and let the water come. Though Moses struck it twice, God was still faithful to give them water. But in the New Testament, we are told the significance of this event, that Jesus Christ is our rock. And John tells us in chapter 7, verses 37 to 39, on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for the Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Jesus stood in the temple during his earthly life and said, if you're thirsty, come to me. I am the water of life. And if you come to me, out of your innermost being will <coughs> flow rivers of living water. I will meet the deepest longing of your soul. I will satisfy the thirst of your spirit. I will quench those of you who are parched and dry in your life. I will meet you. I will satisfy you. I will fill you with fresh water to the point that you're overflowing and running rivers yourself. And my friends, it was so important that Moses obey the Lord because he did not realize in his anger that he was destroying one of the most beautiful types, one of the most beautiful symbols of Jesus Christ. 
Because the Bible says that Jesus Christ was carried to Calvary and stretched out upon a cross and smitten there for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was laid upon him. He was smitten for my sin. He was struck down for me. But having died once for sin, he came triumphantly out of the grave and ever lives that all who come to him by faith and ask can receive from him the living water of life, can receive from him the cleansing and forgiveness, can receive from him the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Moses was told the second time, don't strike the rock. Jesus needs to be crucified only once. And that is a satisfactory atonement for all the sin of the world. And ever after, all you need to do is come and ask, oh God, give me the water of life. And Jesus will satisfy the thirsting of your soul. He is the rock from which the living water flows to satisfy your thirst. The last illustration I want to share with you this morning is from Numbers chapter 21. If you're in your Bible and you're following along, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. It's the fourth book in the Old Testament. It's about page 136 in my Bible. Yours may be different, but it's thereabouts. In Numbers chapter 21, verses 4 to 9, Then they set out from Mount Hor to go by way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient because of the journey. And the people spoke against God and Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? Does that sound familiar to anyone now? You know, it's like a broken record. Every time something goes wrong, why have you brought us up here to die in the wilderness? It's terrible. All these things happening to us all the time. There's no food, there's no water, we loathe this miserable food. You know what's significant about that? The food they were complaining about is what God gave them absolutely free every day. They gathered manna. I don't know what it tasted like, but we're talking about people who normally eat, you know, cakes and bread and lamb or whatever. They had sustenance every day from the hand of God. We loathe this miserable food. I'm tired of it. Grumbling, griping, complaining. Verse 6, the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. And they bit the people. You tired of the food? How about snakes? <laughs> Hello? And so they came to the Moses, because many of them died. <laughs> and they said, we have sinned. Well, now there's the novel thought. We have sinned. 
because we have spoken against the Lord. Will you intercede with the Lord that he may remove the serpents from us? Isn't that interesting? You know, God had provided, 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 provided. He had given and given. Every time they had need, he had given. This time he said, you know what, I'm tired of the grumbling. I don't know where those snakes were hiding, but they all came out from under the rocks. And these fiery serpents, the scripture says, meaning serpents with a sting that was venomous and obviously caused death, went out among the people. And the Lord said to Moses, he didn't say, I'm going to take the serpents away. What he said was, make a fiery serpent and put it on a standard. Now, a standard is a, it's going to use a microphone stand, but I better leave the equipment alone. A standard is a pole. And, a, and this fiery serpent Moses was to make out of metals of sorts and put it on this pole and, and hold this pole up to place it high above the people where they could look and see it, like a tall flagpole. Make a fiery serpent and put it up on a standard. And then it will come about that if anyone is bitten, when he looks at it, he will live. And Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on the standard, and it came about that if a serpent bit anyone... When he looked to the bronze serpent, he lived. That's a strange answer to prayer. But the point of that answer is, is that it was something that required faith. You're out in the wilderness, these serpents are loose among the people. And you can imagine the fear and the terror, that because people are being bitten and they're dying. And now, all of a sudden, there's this pole up in the middle of the camp. And there's hundreds of thousands of people, by the way. This is a huge gathering. I don't know how many of you attended the, the, the Million Man March with Promise Keepers a number of years ago. But to see all those people in the Washington Mall, the, the, the mall and from between the Capitol and the Monument, it was, it was amazing. It was kind of like that. I mean, it's just wall-to-wall people as far as you can see. But here's this pole, and there's a snake on it. And they have a choice. You can fall down and rub your leg and put poultice on it and wrap it up, and, and, and uh, you can do anything you want to do, and there's no, but if you will just look at that snake on top of the pole, that is an act of faith. I've been bitten. I'm going to look and behold by faith and believe that God is going to nullify the effects of the poison. I'm going to believe that God is going to take the sting away. I'm going to believe that I will live because God has said so. Look at the pole and you will live. And Moses put that pole up in the camp. And whenever a person was bitten, they looked at it, and they lived. That 
serpent on the pole is also a symbol of Jesus Christ. Now, you may be saying to me, that's a very strange symbol. I thought a serpent was kind of like the symbol of Satan. I thought it was evil. I thought it stood for, for sin in the Bible. What's it doing a symbol of Christ? But my friends, when Jesus Christ was lifted up on the pole, on the cross, he became the sin bearer. And for a period of time, the scripture says, even the father turned his back on his son on the cross because Jesus had willingly taken the sin of the world to himself. And Paul goes so far in Corinthians to say, he who knew no sin was made sin on our behalf that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. It's very interesting in the scripture. The waters of Marah, the healing branch, the healing root, the tree of life, many biblical writers allude to that. The rock that followed them from which the water flowed and the rich symbolism of smiting at once and thereafter speaking by faith, many biblical writers allude to the rock. But it's very interesting who makes plain for us the meaning of the fiery serpent upon the pole. It's Jesus Christ himself speaking to Nicodemus in that nighttime conference in John chapter 3, when in verse 12 Jesus says, If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how, you, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things no one who has ascended into heaven no one has ascended into heaven but he who descended from heaven the son of man is the son of man as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness even so must the son of man be lifted up so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. The Israelites struggled with snakes, but those snakes represented an insidious evil that is among us and in all of us. And every one of us has been bitten. And the venom of that bite is sin. And the sting of that bite is death. And we have all been affected and infected by the fiery serpent. Every one of us here this morning has the venom of sin coursing through our veins, threatening to bring our life to a godless end and an eternity 
in a place called hell. And Jesus Christ himself marries up the analogy when he says, if I be lifted up like Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, if I be lifted up on the cross, I will draw men to me. And they will look at me by faith and live, not just temporarily until they die of old age or some other disease, not just in this moment of time, but they will look at me and live eternally. They will look at me and have life. And then Jesus says these words to Nicodemus that we have come to cherish so richly, so loved God the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever looks to him and believes will not die, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world, through him, might be rescued, might be saved, might be cleansed, that the venom of sin will not have its ultimate effect of bringing death, but that the one who looks to Jesus will look and live. Three rich symbols from the Old Testament that speak to us of our Lord Jesus Christ and his ministry. I want to ask you this morning, have you come to a place in your life where the waters are bitter? Is life not turning out the way you thought? Is there a sadness? Are there disappointments? Have you come to the realization that your cherished goals are never going to be met? Are you here this morning with an emptiness? And as you survey your life, it's full of gall. And, and it leaves a brackish taste in your mouth. And your teeth are on edge. And there's bitterness that's spoiling every day. Friends, I want to tell you this morning, there's a healing branch for you that when you invite that branch into your life, into your bitterness, into your midst, he will sweeten He will heal. He will refresh. He will give you hope. He will be your companion. He will not leave you alone. He will lift you out of the miry clay and set you upon a rock. Are you at a place in your life this morning where you're thirsty? You've tried a lot of things, and nothing is satisfied. Maybe you're not so much bitter as you are 
wearing out with toys. You've run for this, you've run for that, you've tried this, you've tried that. And you found once you got your hands upon it and you held it in your hands, that thing that was your prized goal, it's lost its meaning. It doesn't have value to you anymore. It didn't do what you thought it would do. It, It didn't satisfy you. And you're here this morning with a thirst that has never been quenched. My friends, Jesus is the water. He's the water of life. He will satisfy the deepest longings of your soul. He will quench that insatiable thirst. He will bring you to a place of refreshment where you can say, I found him at last. The one for whom my soul has longed, though I did not realize it. Jesus is the water of life for your thirst. Ultimately, life becomes bitter and parched because of sin. And perhaps the Holy Spirit is dealing with your heart right now as you are considering where you're sitting. The reality that you have failed. That sin has infected you. That it is coursing through your veins. And that you are separated from God. And you're in trouble. You're dying without him. And there is a pole, a standard, in front of the assembly, in the shape of a cross, from one who has borne our sin. That cross this morning is empty because we do not have a dead founder. We don't have a dead philosopher that started Christianity. We have a risen Savior who has paid the price for our sin and now has come out of the grave triumphantly and he ever lives, the scripture says, to pray for you. And everyone who will look to him will live. Everyone who beholds him by faith and believes God can heal me, God can forgive me, God can cleanse me, God can restore me. There is Jesus on the cross. Now he sits in heaven. There is the picture. By faith will you look and live. Will you believe? Jesus Christ has paid the price. He became sin for me took the image of the serpent for a moment, that in glory he might live everlasting, and that I could live with him. 
Father, this morning we come to you. We are here to celebrate a risen Savior, and risen he is indeed. These stories and symbols are not past tense, for we have today a healing branch. We have today a rock from which the water of life indeed still flows. We have today a Savior who has died upon a cross, but risen again for life. And I pray, Father, that you will move upon the hearts of people here. For those who are struggling with the bitterness of life, will you bring to them the healing branch? To those who are thirsting and can't find what they want, you open their eyes to see Jesus. And for all who have sinned and this morning realize they have been separated from you by their sin, will you this moment by your Spirit open their eyes to see the one hanging upon the tree, the one who has died for them, the one who is now risen, that he might save them eternally and give them life. And this morning give them faith to believe, faith to receive. With your heads bowed and your eyes still closed, I just want to offer a model prayer. You don't have to pray this, these very same words, but I want to offer to anyone here this morning who is without Jesus Christ, a simple way to come to the Father. You can pray in your heart, right where you sit, words something like this. Father, I've heard this morning the truth. There's bitterness in my life. I've been searching for you and all the wrong things. And I am infected with sin. I need a Savior. Come this morning and I ask you to forgive my sin. I'm looking at the cross of Jesus. And I ask you to forgive my sin. And cleanse my life of all sin. I turn away from it. I don't want anything more to do with that way of life. And today by faith, I am going to look to Jesus, the resurrected Christ. And trust him to be my water for life to be my healing branch, to be my risen Savior. I receive him as my Lord and Master. I want to walk with him and follow him and trust him and love him all the days of my life. Father, I ask you to do this because I am looking by faith at the one upon the cross now sitting at your right hand. In his name I pray. My friend, I want to encourage you. You're here today without Jesus Christ. 
You can pray that prayer as you sit. You can pray it as we sing our closing hymn. You can go home and get alone in your room. And you can fall on your knees beside your bed or sit on your sofa or go to a quiet place and invite Jesus Christ into your life. If you're thirsty today, if you're bitter today, if you're lost today, Jesus is your answer. Thank you, Father, for your indescribable gift in Jesus Christ. Amen.